Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Joining us in studio this morning, making his way through the brutal St. Louis weather, is one... Mike Claiborne. Michael, good to see you. How you doing? It's better to be seen than viewed, is what I like to say. Uh, that is a, that, you know, today's weather is true. so bad. You would have thought, and I know we've had a drought here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, but you would have thought that people would have known how to navigate through wet streets. Oh, no. Every time. Every time. You would have thought we were in the midst of a blizzard out yeah. there. Every time they it, they it hit was, their hazard lights, oh, they start man, driving just, slow. We live in St. Louis. We live in a in a city that has various seasons. So why every time? I do want to give a shout out to Modot though because I saw a sign a couple of days ago where Modot was, was warning a, people. They about were, well, no, they were doing a a a um, practice a trial run for for preparing the streets. Weather. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I said oh, that that is a spectacular. Spectacular like practice, thing. Man. No, you got to practice. It's something. Because once it snows and you haven't practiced, then we're going to all be in a bad, sh- in bad shape. Yep. So shout out to them. Clabes, last week I wasn't in. And I know on the Monday night or Sunday night before Ozzy's tournament, you were at that event. Did you, did you make your, your way out to Boone Valley the, the next day? I don't man, think it I didn't see it. Cold. Okay, yeah. It was I cold. Ruled by golf. <laughs> when it's 55 or below, I don't go. <laughs> I told everybody, but I saw the weather forecast. I, there's not a chance. If my own kid was out there playing for charity, I wouldn't be out there. <laughs> so I, I feel very fortunate because a lot of younger broadcasters than me that were interns for me at KMOX consider themselves kind of a part of a, a character tree. And our friend Willard Harrell I ran into him, Ooh, and yeah. he's one of the really the great people. Share. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did he get you, Carrie? Yeah. Five thousand dollars for some socks. I'm still upset about that. What are we doing, man? (laughs) But uh, we were talking about Otis and Theotis and and Roy and how he was a mentor for those guys. And actually, Otis gave him his uh, his. I think it was a Super Bowl ring uh, that that Willard had for about 15 years, and credit credits Willard for a lot of his success. He's a great St. Louis guy, but man, yes. that I was watching another thing that I did while I was off was watching old Big Red tape. Man, they were close. They were. They were. It, what a shame that they were that one group good of players, defensive player away from yeah. being legit. Because mm-hmm. offensively, there wasn't anything they couldn't do. They could run the ball. They could throw it. They had great receivers. Um, you know, I always felt this. Had Roy Green played in the greatest show on turf? He'd had 2,000 yards in receiving. Here's the period. thing. Because they couldn't tackle him, no. they couldn't catch him. He, he had 1555, <clears throat> all right, in 1984. 1,555 yards. Here's the thing about Roy Green, and take this for what it is from me, because I'm a Roy Green fan. But I think Mike Claiborne will agree with me here. Roy Green had Anquan Bolden's size and strength and Tyreek really? Hill's speed. Really? Yeah. Good call. Really Very good call. He was and unbelievable. Tough as barbed wire. Mm. I mean, because he he starts a defensive back, yeah, uh, punt returner, kick returner. He had the record for, uh, against 106. Dallas, 106 yards for a kick return. Um, there was nothing Roy Green couldn't do, but I just thought because you know if you could lay one on him, he could you could bounce off, of yeah. him. and then he was off to the races, and he wasn't going to be caught. And he was just such a versatile player, bigger than Isaac Bruce, <laughs> faster than Torrey Holt, and it's he good was six hands. two and two ten when he yeah. was playing. Wow, yeah. 
And just a big, big barrel chested guy, bow legged, yeah. but he <laughs> he's he's as good of a player as I've seen. He's had some health issues, but he's turned the corner. Uh, I did a podcast with Ch- uh, Charles Barkley a few weeks ago, and he talked about Roy. Also talked about Willard. He said Willard. He really pulled out his phone to show somebody he actually played in the NFL. <laughs> oh, yeah. Charles said, man, if I had to pull my phone out for somebody just to prove that I was playing, I probably wouldn't have a phone. <laughs> I wouldn't carry a phone. Hey, what's going on? Uh, do you take hiatus with the Joe yeah, West podcast? we did our last podcast, Reggie Jackson. Oh, wow. awesome. Good. And uh, what a fascinating guy. You know, depending on what day of the week, um, you can get a different opinion about Reggie Jackson because mm-hmm. I've heard some not-so-pleasant things about him. But when we visited with him, uh, he was more than gracious, but I didn't know he was such a big sports fan. I mean, he's a big memorabilia collector, mm-hmm. and he calls in radio shows. Really? He'll really? call in a radio show at night. He's driving <laughs> somewhere and just, hey, this is Reggie Jackson. You know, and people, oh, come on, man. No, <laughs> I mean, he was a, he's a big fan, uh, really a student of sports, not just baseball. And to hear the story about how he became a baseball player at Arizona State, I just would suggest people take a listen to it because it's a very unique trail that he took. I want to ask you a question because Randy and I were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago with the new rules in baseball, um, the bags being moved in, being Mm -hmm. bigger, the the, uh, infielders having to not be able to shift anymore. We both believe that it's going to lead to more athleticism back in the game. And and does that lead to more African-American baseball players coming back to baseball? Because it's it's more athletic, there's more faster pace, um, and, and they get to show off that athleticism. Because when I grew up in the 80s, it was it was a lot of players that, that mm-hmm. looked like me. I mean, yeah. Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, and, and Ozzie, you were excited to go to the ballpark. Do the, do the new rules being implemented change uh, the it game could. for, for I, but our But I think we've got to start the game at an earlier age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in Matthews Dickey, all right? Yeah, me and too. And Matthews Dickey, you went from playing baseball to playing for the Bulldogs mm-hmm. and football. Uh, we got to get kids more engaged in the game at an earlier age. And I've always felt like once you get out of Little League, you know, now we have this thing called Select. Yeah. And everybody, you know, got five grand, you can be on a Select team. Yeah. You got to make it more affordable and, and not put the emphasis on Select or the travel teams. Let kids learn the game. And I, I kind of feel like the Cardinals are in a great situation for this reason. We have so many alums that live in St. Louis. I'd like to see us get together and inv- and have some alums adopt a little league or a high school team mm-hmm. and teach them the game from a fundamental standpoint. Teach a coach how to run a practice. Yeah. Ooh, you know, yeah. I mean, you coach, you know how that works. It, it, it so matters. <laughs> I, I think when they see it from a big league level yeah. – and then those players can exchange stories about players they play with right. and against. I think that would create a little bit more interest compared to saying, well, you know, you we're going to be playing, playing select and you can't afford to play right. or this or that. Right. Uh, because then kids have more options too. You know, mm-hmm. now it's football, now it's basketball. And, uh, you know, you have to make sure that you create enough excitement for them to say, yeah, that, that looks like that could be fun. Right. So I, I think it can happen though. Okay. I think the other part of it though is that if you're looking for a lot of young African Americans in the inner city, they're looking for a more instant payoff, which comes mm-hmm. when you get drafted into the NFL or when you get drafted into the NBA. Yeah. It takes a while to get the money yeah. in baseball. You, pay your dues yeah. and get, you know, you might sign if you're a really good player, you get a nice signing bonus, mm-hmm. but you still have to ride those buses in the minors, and, and you still yeah. That. And that's changed a little bit more mm-hmm. now because they're going to pay these guys a little bit more and give them better living facilities. 
Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a grind. It's it's a real grind. And you know, a lot of guys when they get to free agency, and you wonder why they always want to see what free agency is like instead of signing with that team. That's mm-hmm. because they want to see how they can get paid. Yeah, Mike and I were in Columbia over the weekend, <gasps> and we'll, we'll touch on Mizzou. <laughs> We'll, we'll touch on Mizzou, but we were actually talking about the Cardinals. Man. As that Mizzou game was unfolding, we thought, oh, let's talk baseball instead. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I we think... Got, we it, got something to talk about in this next year. Yeah, we do. We, we do. <laughs> that Mizzou football, I got something to say about that. Somewhere along the line, several things need to happen. Goldie and Arenado are going to be fine, despite what happened in two games against Philadelphia. Goldie and Arenado are going to be fine. Hopefully... And I want to get your take on this. Hopefully Dylan Carlson turns into a, an 800 OPS guy. Somewhere along the line, the Cardinals are going to have to get another bat. Yeah, they are. I don't think there's any doubt about that because uh, who's going to replace Albert Pujols' numbers? Mm-hmm. That DH mm-hmm. has got to be a guy that can give you 18 to 25 home runs and drive in at least 70 runs in some some way, shape, or form. And I don't know if that guy's on the roster. You know, I'd like to see a little bit more experience there. Um but you're right about Carlson. You got you have to get more out of him, especially when you hear, okay, well, the Cardinals didn't give up uh, Carlson for Soto, mm-hmm. and you and, and I know Soto struggled a little bit in postseason. I still think he's one of the best players in the game. He is. Mm-hmm. So somebody's got to step up, and I think with Carlson's age, maybe this is the year he breaks out. Uh, like a lot of young players I see in baseball, there's so many people in their ear. The white noise, as Ken Hitchcock used to say, whether it's your 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 select coach, your hitting guru, your team uh, batting coach. I mean, you got so many guys in your ear that you got to figure out how to shut it down and be more effective and, and do what you do. Do what got you here. Yeah. Don't try and do something new. The reason why they drafted you and signed you and put you in the in the game every day is because of what you've done. They just want you to be better at doing that. I don't need you to try and do something that you can't do. Just do what you do. Mike, I'm a bad student, so I probably didn't listen well, to any instructors. Yeah, we right? had that in common, like sports. <laughs> yeah. so, right. But a guy like Paul DeYoung was a very good student. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he has just a complete inability to tune out all that white noise. If, think, if he I just hears and tries to process everything. Yeah, I, I think sometimes you have guys that want to want to make everybody happy instead of making yourself happy, and you don't know how to walk away or you don't know how to not listen. And, and I think sometimes that's a challenge because again, there's just so many people and options and statistics and fundamentals and, and routines and mechanics and all the other things that you try and disseminate. And then all of a sudden you got about four to five seconds to step in the batter's box and try and hit somebody who's throwing 98 with movement, uh, not to mention 103 straight down the middle. So there's so many things that go into it. This is this is a hard sport to play. It it, it definitely is. And, and to answer your question about the, the replacement for Pujols, I, I thought it would be Juan Yepes. I thought – I feel like mm. with the, the at-bats and the opportunities um, – consistently getting those chances. I think he can be a, as you said, 18 to 25 home run guy. Um, we talked about they need a catcher. How, who are they going to use? Who are they going to yeah. get to replace Yachty? Is it uh, middle of the infield help with, with Tommy Edmond at shortstop or, or moving him to second base and, and signing the shortstop and, and the, the outfield for me, I feel like Jordan Walker hopefully is, is, is ready and, and day one ready to go. I think Newt is your left fielder. And then that center field is is where you're looking. Is it Tyler O'Neill? Is it Carlson? Uh, who, I think it's who, Carlson. Okay. Yeah. You I think, think I, O'Neill is is it's just 
it, yeah, I think O'Neal is not an X factor guy on whether they whether they want to commit to him or not. Gotcha. You know, because he's going through arbitration again. It didn't go well for him the last time. Uh, and he's he injured. wants a long term deal, and the injury issue yeah. comes into play also. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some different looks as far as faces on this team. Mm-hmm. People that we've been accustomed to seeing maybe not being in the same role that they're in now. Um, because you always have to look to improve. And I think when the season was over, you said to yourself, all right, we got to fix this catching. All right, what are we going to do about shortstop or middle infield? Uh, you just mentioned the outfield, and I'll throw in something else. Um, I think your bullpen needs to have a little bit more experience in mm-hmm. it. Um, I think the bullpens of today, because we're so enamored with throwing 100-plus miles an hour, give me a few guys with a little movement mm-hmm. and that has gives you a different look. Because if you all have – if you have the same group of guys in the bullpen every night, then teams, you know, we all adjust. Right. You know, the good players adjust, so you have to have variety. So if I've got a guy who can throw three pitches for strikes, now I have to figure out, all right, what pitch can I handle? And, Mike, here we are. Those guys, Jordan Hicks is the quintessential 103-mile-an-hour guy, right? It takes 30 seconds to re- for that arm to recover yeah. between pitches. And, now and he's going to have 15. The pitch clock is going to change the game forever. Better be able to locate. You better be locate. able to figure out another pitch between those 100-mile-an-hour <laughs> heaters you're throwing. Because if you don't, you're going to be irrelevant. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos led the league in slowest play, slowest mm-hmm. pace of play. What's he going to do? I mean, how many backyard sessions is he going to have with a clock somewhere to tell him? You have to cut your delivery almost in half. He was 28 seconds. Hmm. 28 yeah. seconds yeah. between pitches. Don't And God forbid there's a runner on base or a foul ball. <laughs> I mean, we're talking oh, about 35 right. seconds. Yeah. You know, And when you think about what's 35 seconds, well, you start to add it up. It's amazing how slow the game gets after the sixth inning. Mm-hmm. It right. just comes to a crawl. We're going to talk to about Mizzou in one moment. I have one more baseball question. If Kerry Let's has go one, to the phones and Randy standing by, and <laughs> you, all that. you have relative to the rest of the media in St. Louis, you have the best relationship with Jack Flaherty of all of us. You're also objective about Jack Flaherty. So, <laughs> have your expectations of Jack Flaherty changed? And if so, what do you expect? I expect him to be really good next year. I think he had to learn about dealing with injury, learning about, again, the white noise about who's telling you to do this and do that. And I think he had to grow up a little bit. I mean, he had a lot on his plate. and But I thought more than anything else, because he'd never been injured before. I was mm. talking to him one day. He said, I never, I never even fell off a bicycle. Mm. And now he's hurt. And now he doesn't know how to work through it. And again, you know, you hear from people saying, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. He wants to listen to the team and what they're suggesting. He's got his own doctors is what they're suggesting. And I think he kind of hit a wall. And then his mechanics got sloppy. Then he was overcompensating. And then, you know, he some days he and I, I said, are you going to be crusty today? Because he, he, he would have his days and I was like, oh, really? We're going to have that today. All right. But you know what? At the end of the day, he was still a good guy you could mm-hmm. talk to. Um, so I, I think that I'm looking for him to step up because this is his last year arbitration. And so I think he wants to prove a point not only to himself but to the fans and everyone else who maybe had concern, not doubt, but concern. Because there's always going to be somebody that's right. going to doubt you. But right. there are also people who are concerned about what can you do for the team. I think when he's right, he's the best pitcher on the staff, and I don't there's think no it's doubt. a question about yeah. it. It's I, light years ahead of everybody it, it, and, and so him being healthy, that's one of the things – as a professional athlete, learning and being able to decipher who to listen to and who not to listen to, what information is good mm-hmm. for you and what is not. And and it is hard because 
you have multiple people telling you multiple things from multiple different uh-huh. directions of your life. You know, you got high school coaches that may be calling you or college coaches that may be calling you, trying to tell you. But at the end of the day, as you, you hit the nail on the head, what got you there is what is going to keep you there. And you just have to enhance that, make it better, become better at what you are already doing. And when you're able to do that, it, 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 you, you're becoming a true professional. So I, I, I agree. I think... When Jack going through that injury and understanding his body, understanding his mechanics and how to get things back on track, I will tell you as a as a I was never one of the 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 top best athletes on my team. I was a hard work guy, but I know guys that were those athletes. And and it, when it comes naturally, it's hard to implement mm-hmm. a different regimen of of. Oh goodness, this is different from what I've normally had. I just wake up and I'm I'm great. I fall out of bed and I'm already <laughs> near Hall of Fame. Here. And, yeah. and so I've never been that guy. Yeah. So it's always been the work that that helped me get to where I was. Those guys have sometimes have an extremely hard time making the adjustments to how to to go forward when things aren't going as crisp as they as, as they normally are. I, I would agree. I just think there's so many more distractions in sport. I think it's harder to play professional sports now. Than ever before I, I because would, I of would the agree. noise mm-hmm. and, and some media. of it. Some of it's good, yeah. Media as yeah. well, social media. I mean, there's so many things that come into it. But I go back to what you said. It's coaches that care about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's family. It's agents. It's everybody who who wants to see you do well, and they think they can help you more than you can help yourself. Yeah. And, and sometimes you just have to kind of like be courteous about it. Maybe take it into account, filter it, and see if it actually applies. But at the end of the day, you still have to do your job. Indeed. Mike Claiborne in studio with us. We're going to talk a little bit about Mizzou and Illinois. Eli Drinkwitz in his third year at 3-4. and four. Brett Bielman his second year at 5-1. and one. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. University of Missouri football team will make their way to South Carolina. And by the way, Shane Bieber has South Carolina rolling now. They've won four in a row. Knocked off Texas A&M on Saturday. And... Michael, I said it yesterday, I said it after the game on Saturday. I know that there's no such thing as a bad win in sports, but the closest thing to a bad win in sports was what Mizzou endured, and Mizzou fans had to endure on Saturday. They had everything working in their favor. Great weather, huge crowd, uh, Vanderbilt on the schedule, and I'm saying, all right, they're going to hang 35 on them, no problem. And it just didn't work. I'm not even sure where to start. I guess I'll start from the line of scrimmage and work my way back. The <laughs> offensive line is not SEC caliber, Mm-mm. okay? Uh, they don't have any any real guys up front that are difference makers. They don't run the ball well at all. Now, Schrader had a couple of good runs, but they loosened them up. They spread it out a little bit, and, they, and there were some seams that he was able to find. Um, this program's not going anywhere until they get some offensive linemen. I don't care what... You can go get a McDonald's All-American, a Steak and Shake, a Chuckaburger. I don't care. You need legitimate offensive linemen in order to be an SEC competitive team. Let's move to the play calling. No. Um, Eli Drinkwitz, who I know and I like, and I, and I really respect what he's tried to do to that program, is the play caller. So the buck stops with him. I've never coached at the university. I've never coached in college football. But I think that when I have the, the reputed best receiver in the country, I've got to find ways to get him the ball. Now, if you want to put him way outside, that's fine. Carry you coach. I think if I got a guy that everybody's trying to double, I put him in a slot. Mm-hmm. I want to make them have to do something. Because once I see the coverage there, then I know what else I can yeah. do on the field. Yeah. Uh, the play selection just isn't there. I'm sorry. Um, 
you give it to him a few times in the first half and he doesn't see it in the second half. Mm-hmm. And Grant, you had some other good players. I mean, uh, Lovett has stepped up and done a nice job. Buki Cooper's doing a nice job. They have some other options, mm-hmm. but they don't have the consistency that they need to have, and it starts with the play calling. And I don't know whether he's up uh, the spotter up top because Eli calls from the field. So he's got to have a guy up top seeing, right. telling him what he's seeing up there. So they, they got to be on the same page. Then when you think about the play calling and the lack of, uh, it, it just spreads to everything else, which means your defense is on the field long. And by the way, defense played pretty well on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Saturday They did a really nice job. But if you don't get this offensive line thing squared away, and Brady Cook, uh, I think Brady Cook's a good quarterback. I don't think he's an SEC quarterback. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. I mean, I'm not saying he can't play college football. I can't say he can't play Division One football. <clears throat> but from what I've seen – it doesn't appear that he is the, the conduit to get this program to that SEC level. I'm not talking about one of these other con- – I'm talking about the SEC, the best conference in the country, mm-hmm. seven t- programs in the top 25. You, you've got to get, either get him more weapons or get him better protection or maybe you need to make a change. Because all these other quarterbacks that I've heard Eli Drinkwitz talk about, these can't-miss phenoms, they had to give me St. Louis. He doesn't even get on the field. Yeah. Tyler Macon. Tyler Macon. Yeah. And, I mean, you saw him play in high mm-hmm. school. I saw him play in high school. You can't tell me there isn't a place for him. And every time I hear Eli talk about where well, he's not ready, well, whose fault is that? Mm-hmm. You've had this guy for two years. You, you know, this is where coaching comes into play. Mm-hmm. You have to coach. If you have guys in your program that aren't ready after two years, maybe it's your fault. And you recruited him. Exactly. You didn't inherit him. Right. You recruited him. And he's been in classrooms. January, spring ball, you name it. So this isn't a situation where this is new to him. I think you hit the the nail on the head. It, it starts up front. In any level of football, if you don't have big men moving other big men on the offensive line or, or big men not being moved by other big men, you are going to struggle. And it doesn't matter how much talent you have on the outside, you're never going to be able to get him the ball. I, I have people come, man, I got a kid. He's coming He's in, He's in. coming to school. He'll, he's an eighth grader. He'll be at, he's at Hazelwood Central Middle. He'll be at the, what position does he play? He's a running back. Uh, yeah, cool. we, thank uh, you cool. very much for calling. Yeah. Yeah. Is he a lineman? <laughs> yeah. Because those I, are the guys. Those are the guys that, that change your your trajectory. And and I will say this about Brady Cook. He, I don't think Stetson Bennett is looked at. The Georgia quarterback was right. looked at or is looked at as an SEC quarterback. But there are so much. He there is so, so much, much around, around him, him exactly. with the offensive line, with the playmakers, and it allows you to be a guy that takes care of the football, does not make a lot of big mistakes, and and you can go out there and have success as a football team. He, game manager is what some people would call him. Yeah. I, I think he's better than that. I think he finds a way to make plays that, that justifies yeah. why he's a starting quarterback and somebody else with more credentials isn't. Right. One of the other parts of this situation that is disturbing if you're a Mizzou fan is you see what Beal was doing in his second year. You see what, absolutely, <laughs> you see what Josh Heupel, a former Mizzou offensive coordinator, is Kelly, doing. How long did it take yeah. for you to find your blue and, blue and orange hey, sweater? It's, it's <laughs> always there. I got plenty of them. Okay. I, it, it took me a while to break it out. People, I know some people hey, that I, put a search party out uh, for uh, it. Uh, I got plenty of them. Okay. I, just, right. I just hadn't broke them out in a while. Oh, yeah. I had no reason to. I definitely do now. Mizzou's program under Barry Odom was not in great shape, but it was in better shape than both Illinois and Tennessee when Beal and uh, Josh, Josh Heichel, Heichel took over yeah. their programs. I, you know, I think Eli can turn it around. I, I'm expecting him to uh, because he's he's got more support 
from St. Louis University and basically how people view him in the country than the last three coaches that were there. Yep. Okay? So this isn't a thing of identity. This is a thing where everybody expects and thinks he can get the job done. And I'm one of them. I'm just not seeing it now, and that's maybe part of the growing pains of trying to run a program. So the question is now, he's got to go back and start recruiting his own players because Mm -hmm. the good ones are going to start looking around uh, compared to you trying to get somebody from the portal. No, you better think about the backyard first. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that, uh, well, that's one of the things when I talk to college coaches, that's what makes co- coaching college so hard at mm-hmm. this point is not only are you recruiting high school kids or junior college kids or, or looking in the transfer portal for your seniors that may be leaving, but you also have to recruit the kids on your roster at this point every, every single day to make sure that they are not entering the transfer portal or deciding that going somewhere else would be a better fit for them. And it, it makes coaching college football extremely hard, but it, it – I, you get paid a good 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 ransom to, to to do that job, and it's part of the job description. You got to do it every day. And one of the things that he's dealing with is taking over a, a mid level program, and he did so with only one year of head coaching experience. It's different than Bielma because Bielman Bielma had the template yeah. as to how to, to build a program. Heupel went into Central Florida, had an idea, even though he took over a really good program, but had the coaching experience when, when he got to Tennessee. Eli, as a, the, the old adage, that 18 inches makes a big difference when you walk <laughs> over to the big chair. And I would hate to see him wind up being a good coach for somebody else. Yeah, I, I think you have to give it time. Uh, I think he's learning like everybody else. I just don't want him to have the, the biggest bus station in the SEC with all the kids piling mm. on it, leaving the University of Missouri. Because I, I think Missouri is a, in as a good a place right now that I've seen in a long, long time as far as facilities, the energy, and everything else that comes with it. And he's been responsible for a lot of that. But, you know, you've got to change some things because at the bottom line, it's about results. Um, And like I said, it was a picture-perfect day Saturday. Weather, huge crowd, anticipation. Oh, by the way, somebody thought Vanderbilt was a good team to put on the homecoming schedule, and, and it just didn't work. And, and coming off of a bye week. Yes. And that's, you, that part, I go. think that part gets yeah. left out as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, you're coming off of a bye week. You had a chance to to adjust and, and you know recalibrate whatever you didn't do well in those last couple of games and figure that out. And you started off 17 to nothing and, and allowed them to get back into the game and make it a a, a chance to... to Put you, that game in, in a in a precarious situation where they could have won it. When he said that he it. couldn't find a time to put Sam Horn in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Here's what you do, coaches. Here's what we're going to do. And if I forget, you remind me yeah. at this stage of the game, this is when we want to give Sam Horn a look. Yeah. Yep. There's no 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 question about it. You know, if you can't consume play calling and listening to your coaches about reminding you on when to get somebody hot. Then we maybe you ought to spread out the responsibilities a little bit more. There's no excuse for when you said you wanted to give them a look and you couldn't find a place to give it to them. Doesn't work. Doesn't you have work. Uh, just a few more minutes after the next. Yeah, uh, I got as much break. time as you need. All right, uh, Mike Claiborne has been in this business. So Mike and I started about the same time. We're roughly 40 years we've been in this business. Mike's been doing a lot of things and met a lot of people. I'm going to ask Mike Claiborne what his most memorable experience, either in broadcasting or because of being in the broadcasting <laughs> business, is. Next on 101 ESPN. Mike Claiborne has spent what the last 16 seasons with the Cardinals. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, we started in. What was it? Two thousand. The year oh, six. They won. Yeah, two thousand six, and oh, 16, uh, that's been fun. Sixteen. And um, Rams before that. 
Um, yeah, I, I, man, I've had a great run. You I, have. And I'm, you and I, like I said before the break, we've both been in this about 40 years. You've met so many people. You've done so many things. What's the one thing that stands out in your mind's eye? As far as people I've met? People you met or things you did? Um, or where you were? You know, I'll go through people I've met that had an impact. Uh, Muhammad Ali, I met him at a young age when he was still doing magic tricks and you know, he his, his, he could talk a little bit better than what we remember him at at the end. He was really cool and delightful. Um, Julius Irving. Wow. Now, wow. growing up, Kerry, back in the day, Dr. J was the man. Yeah. Big fro, the whole thing. <laughs> so I was not an accomplished basketball player, but I was willing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back then he had these knee braces on. I had to have mine on, too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with my knees, but I had to lift the part. But then when I met him, so I was on a radio show. I had him on a radio show, and we're talking, and we're talking about the ABA. Mm-hmm. And so he says, Mike, he said, this is the first time I've ever been on a radio show with you, and it's really great to talk to you. He said, man, you really know your basketball. Mm-hmm. Julius, thank you so much for being on with us. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break. That's Julius Serving. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I was whole. I was whole after that. Then the great Robert Gordon Orr, Bobby Orr, okay. basically said the same thing. And then I run into him in a Home Depot down in Jupiter, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there he, he and I in the paint section. <laughs> and I go up to him and I said, excuse me, Bobby Orr? He said, yeah. I said, my name is Mike Claiborne. I was, you and I did a radio show with Joe Micheletti a few years ago. He said, oh, yeah, I remember that. Is in St. Louis. I'm like, uh-oh, now that's my guy here. <laughs> and he was so nice and gracious with his time. And, you know, I forgot what I was in there getting paint for. Yeah. I, didn't, I forgot what color I was there for <laughs> after great. talking to Bobby Orr. But those are the three who stood out because, you know, the one thing in our business, you always hope that the people that you've admired from a distance are that live up to your expectation of being a good person. Right. All right? We don't have to be boys or we're going to hang out because we don't have that much in common mm-hmm. other than the fact that I may admire what they've been able to do on and off the playing surface. But those three had an impact in getting to know them. And I've run across Julius from time to time, the same with Bobby Orr since then, and they continue to be the people I've always admired them for. I was going to ask you, I, you said Muhammad Ali. It, was there ever a time that you met someone and you were just in awe, starstruck? Um, I met Tommy Smith, the, the, Dude, the 68 Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I've never, and I was an adult. I was uh-huh. a full-grown man, but it was just, <laughs> I was I was in awe of, of you know, just the history of, of what they went through, him and John Carlos. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was it was a moment where I was just, kind of taken aback to to be in the presence of someone who had done such great things. Have, have you ever had that moment? Edwin Moses. Mm. Uh, when, and he and I were around the same age, but he went to Morehouse, I went to Fisk. And I, I knew of him, but my roommate in college was one of the greatest track stars in the history of the world, period. And nobody ever... He, had he not injured himself in the 76 Olympics, you'd have never known who Bruce Jenner was. Mm. Bruce Jenner made the Olympic team because Tony Hale went down in the seventh event in the pole vault. Wow. Um, Edwin Moses, because he had that incredible streak going and he was such a subdued guy. Um, you know, after a while, you know, they're people like you and me. Right. But I don't know if there's anybody I was like sloppy, silly over. Here's the thing, Mike, and uh, you have a million stories like this. There's one that stands <laughs> out in my mind's eye. This is before cell phones. I'm 26 years old, and you and I are doing the shows at KMOX with mm-hmm. Bob Gibson. And I asked Bob Gibson one night, June, I said, hey, can you help me get All-Star Game tickets? He said, yeah, no problem at all. And so I call Bob Gibson at his hotel in Anaheim when we get to Anaheim. And he says, yeah, just come up to my room. And I'm up. 
in Bob Gibson's hotel room in Anaheim, California. He's giving me tickets, and we're talking ball. I mean, twenty-six-year-old yeah. St. Louis, yeah. how, it doesn't get any you know better what, than Randy, that. I would go back and I would take, put him at the front of the list because I didn't know. As a kid, I admired him. Mm-hmm. Didn't know. I met him one time at Sears. He was doing an autograph session. And he shook hands with me and almost broke my hand. I never <laughs> forgot it. And then all of a sudden, I worked with him, and he might have been as good of a friend as I've ever had in the business mm-hmm. because he looked out for me. Uh, he he was his own man. Randy knew him as well. I mean, he had that gruff exterior, mm-hmm. but once you got to know him, yeah. one of the five funniest people I've ever been around. <laughs> I mean, he had such a witty sense of humor, tough as barbed wire. And I remember the day we're having lunch, and he says, "Hey, tell me about this Jack Flaherty." I said, hey, he's a young kid from L.A., good kid. He's got a chance to be something. I, I think he's got some real talent. And he leaned over and said, that so-and-so can bleep and pitch. I want to meet him. Hmm. As long as I'd known Bob Gibson, he never told me he wanted to meet anybody. Yeah. And so I text Jack and I said, hey, Bob Gibson's going to be in the dugout and he'd like to meet you. And Jack's response was, me? <laughs> and they, they just struck up a, a relationship. And I don't know if I've even told this story. So the night when Bob passed, Cardinals lost in San Diego. Players were getting back on the plane. Jack had Bob Gibson's jersey on. Mm. So he carried yeah. that thing around everywhere he'd ever been. And he had a real impact on him yeah. uh, as a person. And Jack had been around a lot of professional athletes. He knew Robert Horry and Kenny Lofton and some other players along the way. Uh, but Bob had a real impact on me. So I'd go back yeah. to that when Randy, Bob Bob was that guy for And me. tell me this, and it's a, a weird comp, but funny, unfiltered guys that are <laughs> eminently likable. Gibby and Charles Barkley, there, there's a lot of unfiltered fun mm-hmm. there that you, there's no way you can, if you're around those guys, you can't not like them. Mm. No, exactly. And, and that's the thing about them. It's unfiltered, not in a malicious vein, yeah. but just... This is just what they see, and this is what they yeah, say, yeah. and you just roll with it, and, and you have fun with it. And Charles is like that. Gibson's like that. There's a few others, I'm sure, that, that'll come to mind once I get in the car and think about how much fun they are to be around. And, you know, once you're part of their crew and they, you know, they, they include you in things, and, and that's been a real cool thing for me. It's been a blast. Uh, one of the things— By the way, I have—what's that term again? In case my significance listening. Oh, mental oh. acuity, Mike. I have mental <laughs> acuity. Man, you know what that? You know, I, I don't know what the, the definition is because I've never heard it before in today. Uh, it means you're not listening to me. That's what I said. I got mental acuity. Just, I'm sorry. I, I, my yeah. mental acuity yeah, is it's off. It's just not where it needs to be. I apologize for it. You know, maybe it's the weather change. I don't know. Mental acuity. So, I better write that one down. I'm gonna be dropping that one on a lot of people here. So. Uh, I don't know why. I guess it's after you turn 60. People say, hey, when are you going to retire? And I, I told somebody the other day, I said, well, i got to start working first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Randy and I were having this conversation on Saturday. Well, first of all, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And I don't think my significant would like me sitting around every day telling how well I was playing golf or how many fish I caught. That, that would get old quickly. I, I think we are in one of those great professions that we do it because we like it mm-hmm. and we work hard. I tell, told somebody this the other day, hey, work hard to have fun. Right. Mm-hmm. If you work hard to have fun in this business, you, you won't let it go. And then there are people that maybe would need to be tapped on the shoulder at some point and say, you know what, <clears throat> maybe it isn't as much fun for you as you think it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not at that point yet. I'm still having a good time with it. So 
Uh, for all those youngsters out there who think you're going to get my job, <laughs> hold off, man. Hold off for a minute, man. It'll be available down the road. Let me just continue to have fun. Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate great it. Great to Thank visit you. with you guys, man. And can't wait to have you on Huddle Up with Howard. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. We bring it now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. It'd be great. <laughs> that is the great Mike Claiborne joining us on 101 ESPN.